Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm going to go to the clinic a bit later. So I just showered and my hair is like dangling wet, but it's not hitting my scrubs, which is a good thing. Thank you so much for being with me here today. No, thank you Such for having honor. me. I was so really much. excited. So, if you could first please introduce yourself to everybody. Thank you. Yeah. So my name is Dr. Playforth. I'm a board certified pediatrician and a mom of three. Wow. My youngest <laughs> is four months old. So I'm wow. like right in the thick of it. <laughs> I like, you know, I write at the pediatrician mom for exactly the reason that you mm -hmm. just said. It's yeah. not just with COVID, but like with everything. There's so much information. And I think as a parent, it's really hard to figure out like what is yeah. good yeah. information? What is misinformation? Yeah. What is dangerous information? appreciate all of the posts that you make here on Instagram. So I did have pediatrics clinical rotations that way, way long ago. And it's like, this is such a complicated <laughs> subject matter. Um, <laughs> to go from the infants up to what, 21 years old or 18 years old. And I just remember yeah. dreading mm -hmm. the exams because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to know all of this, the developmental stages and what, they can't eat or they can't eat a certain month props to the pediatricians and those pediatrics <laughs> and we have a lot to learn from you today and as someone who is a nurse but went back to school for my postdoc studies to pursue medical school the past year that i've been back in school i think it just hit me that oh my gosh how did i answer myself into this? this is such a long road <laughs> um, my mom is a nurse of 30 years so i'm like wow this, this nursing is a terminal degree and then I guess I'm a sadist <laughs> I decide to go in for more and that is what you went through and all physicians have gone through is years of schooling and training mm -hmm. so much sacrifice that had to be done for sure I wanted to know what's the root of all of that what were your inspirations to actually pursue this long and arduous field was like a family member a friend or a personal experience yeah so it was a family mm -hmm. member and so i grew up in malawi yeah. which is a small landlocked country in mm -hmm. sub-saharan africa most people don't know it wow. and i was there till i was 18 mm -hmm. and then came to the u.s for college okay. um, but my dad was a physician there mm -hmm. um, and he's been the inspiration for this you know he worked mm -hmm. so hard mm -hmm. and he was a family physician so he saw kids he saw grown-ups in a setting mm -hmm where they're really a pretty resource poor setting. Yeah. He's now in the US as well, but he was the inspiration for pursuing medical school and That's then amazing. pediatrics um, ultimately. One of my classmates <laughs> um, in my postdoc program, she's been an engineer for years, for years end. And she was like, no, you must be crazy to do a postdoc. Well, I was like, I, I think so too. <laughs> um, to actually enter this such a long road definitely it's delayed gratification right but you've already mm -hmm. reached yeah. that point you've been practicing for years now you've gone through all the schooling and training and like i said for sure so many sacrifices that had to be done time money spent and all of that missed celebration missed this and that at the end of it all <laughs> do you have any regrets for pursuing this long and arduous road 
I think it probably, mm. my answer now is different than yeah, my answer yeah. would have been, you know, a few years ago, for sure. I definitely remember a moment in residency where I was just in tears and I was like, why am I doing this? Mm. Like, this is just not worth it. Because all of our friends mm -hmm. that were in their 20s yeah. were out, you know, having a life, traveling, yeah. earning money, mm -hmm. you know, residency is not a well um, <laughs> compensated experience. And, you know, you're doing 80 hour weeks with four days off in a month. So there were definitely moments where I regretted it. Since then, I mean, since I've done pediatrics, I actually feel much better about it because, you know, yes, there are hard things about pediatrics, but it's also so rewarding and mm -hmm. connecting with families, mm -hmm. connecting yeah. with kids, getting to like yeah. get down on the floor and play with them and see yeah. the smiles, not with masks, yeah. but, you know, generally um, to connect with them is, for sure, is for so sure. rewarding. Yeah. It's very funny because I have interviewed a few residents and then a lot of attendings now. And there really seems to be that discrepancy in answers. Each resident I ask, oh, is it worth it? It's like, ask me in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> that talking, like, yes, it's worth it. There's no regrets. So that is a testament again to the whole delayed gratification part. But still such a rewarding road for sure. And if there's someone watching who's either a pre-med student or a med student, what would be your number one advice for that person? You know, I would probably say, mm -hmm. be sure that you want to do this. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, it's such a big commitment. Mm -hmm. It is so much of your young life and so much of your time mm -hmm. that if you're not in it, really yeah. in it, you will regret it. The experience mm -hmm. of residency is, yeah. is physically yeah. taxing as well as mentally taxing. And, you know, I think most attendings look back and think mm -hmm. it was a rough, rough few yeah. years, but actually that how taxing it was, mm -hmm. was part of like how mm -hmm. you learned mm -hmm. how to handle like a variety of different situations. And so it's almost necessary. I mean, there are parts of it that are not, but you know, you want to make yeah. sure that you're really in it and that you have a support mm -hmm. system. My husband is not mm -hmm. in medicine and I was incredibly lucky that you know, he told me actually just a few weeks ago when I would come home. So I, you know, if I were working at night and I'd come home in the morning and sleep, right. That I would come home at the end of the day and there would be this trail of clothes between like the door yeah. and the bed and then you would just be sleeping i have no memory so of any oh of this God. i was like really and he was yeah. you know he was like yeah i did all the laundry i picked it all up yeah but yeah i didn't even yeah. like know for sure it's i think it's really all about why you want to do it right this is something that our previous physician guests have talked about is what they think is or are the right reasons if there are for a person to go into medicine. I think we've heard it all like, oh, it's a good paying job in the end. Oh, there's some prestige imbued in it. What do you think is the reason for someone to go into this such long road with so much sacrifices? I think that it's probably the same reason mm -hmm. that is the case for really any career, mm -hmm. which is that you mm -hmm. love it, that you are interested in the material, right? Because I mean, yes, the prestige is there, although mm -hmm. I'll tell you with pediatrics, that's not mm -hmm. so much the mm -hmm. case. Even compensation in pediatrics is not, you know, great at all. Mm -hmm. But if you love the subject mm -hmm. matter and you are excited and stimulated by the subject matter, then the other stuff, there are so many different pathways you can mm -hmm. take. But if you are mm -hmm. interested in what you are doing and engaged mm -hmm. with it, then Definitely. it won't feel I, like work. I super agree with that. that. And I super agree with the whole compensation part for pediatrics. I recently found out about it not too long ago. And me and my postdoc class and so like, wait, what? Really? For the spectrum of age yeah. that you're basically taking care of everybody and 
it was just mind blowing to me. But <laughs> so that's a topic that we can get on later. But pediatrics, we've had pediatrics ICU doctors here. We have pediatric allergies, and we have and we have pediatrics. I saw both so those interviews. <laughs> I know you told me that your father was a physician in family medicine who's seen all ages, but. Mm-hmm. Why pediatrics? For sure, you've seen some adults. You weren't into geriatrics, or was there something during I don't know clinical rotations? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I actually yeah. I saw your interview yeah. with uh, Dr. Patel, and she kind of said the same thing that you know you go in with this idea of I actually went mm. in thinking I wanted to do psychiatry. I had done oh. in college. I worked in a baby lab. Um, <laughs> we did experiments on babies, which sounds way more sinister than it really yeah. is. It was kind of like you know, psychological experiments, but like looking at like what they know, what they understand and stuff. And I thought, okay, so I like psychology. I'm going to like psychiatry and that's what I'm going to do. And then I did my rotations and psychiatry, I liked it fine. But then I went into pediatrics and it was just so, you know, what's amazing about children when they're sick, they act sick, but the moment they feel better, they bounce right back. They don't sit around feeling sorry for themselves. They're yeah, wanting to yeah, get definitely. better. And I think that's not always the case for grownups. You know, mm-hmm. they, there's a lot more kind of sitting mm-hmm. around feeling sorry for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that resilience was just so inspirational that once I did pediatrics, definitely I definitely no agree back. with the rotations. The kids were always so excited to feel better. I've been working cardiac surgery step down. So yep. um, very heavy surgery, but you oh. set expectations that, oh, yeah. this day you really have to get up. And, but there's that feeling from the patients of, no, I can't do it. Let me, let me wallow in my pain first. And, mm-hmm. and de- definitely it's so different. Yes. I remember my clinical rotations. I had a child who was sick with normal virus and it's like, I just want to get better. I'll do anything. I'll take any medication you give me. And that enthusiasm is so different. <laughs> something that you can't see in adults adults will be like oh, why do i have to take this so yeah yes, yeah. yeah or oh i don't feel better yet mm-hmm. so i see where that fulfillment coming from from the field of pediatrics and can you please enlighten us what is the road to pediatrics like is it its own specialty yes yeah. it is so yeah. i mean this is uh, obviously very u.s based actually i was thinking about what you just said about compensation and respect for pediatrics and in other countries oh. pediatricians are seen as specialists and actually quite well respected mm-hmm. the looking down on pediatrics mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. a little bit more true here in the u.s but mm-hmm. so you do medical school which is your four years right mm-hmm. and then after that you apply for residency a general mm-hmm. pediatric residency is going to be three years and then if you want to do a subspecialty, mm-hmm. so, you know, Dr. Patel is a pediatric intensive care. And then allergist. I know that you had Dr. Yeah. Roland, who's the uh, pediatric allergist. So th- at that mm-hmm. point, you apply and you do your subspecialty. If you want to do general pediatrics, you decide whether mm-hmm. you want to work in a mm-hmm. hospital setting or outpatient or both. And then you kind of start that. You apply for jobs. I think that there's a lot of flexibility in pediatrics, too. You know, I started off working mm-hmm. full time and then I had my yeah. kids and I decided I wanted for a little sure. bit more yeah. flexibility and time to spend with them. And so pediatrics Definitely. is, is friendly it. to part time. Through all of that, like you've just listed out four years of medical school, three years of residency. What has been the most, probably a lot, but what has been the most memorable experience so far, like at the top of your head, whether it's the scariest thing that you've gone through or the most fulfilling so far, which is probably a myriad of things. (laughs) You know, there is a lot of, it's Mm -hmm. really satisfying mm-hmm. to do procedures um, mm-hmm. and you don't get to do as much in general pediatrics but I remember um, I mean every procedure I got to do as a resident mm-hmm. was so 
Mm-hmm. satisfying but also so scary um there there's an adagion in medicine mm-hmm. generally that's see one do one teach one mm-hmm. right and and mm-hmm. that's part mm-hmm. of what residency mm-hmm. is you are just thrown in the deep end and, yeah. <laughs> and someone will show you how to do for example a spinal tap they'll yeah. show you one and then they'll be like yeah go do the spinal tap yeah. and as a parent now thinking yeah. about it that that is alarming but you know mm-hmm. it's okay and there is supervision and mm-hmm. and that's how you really learn because there's sometimes yeah. you really need to be kind of pushed yeah to see where yeah. you can end up push you know push your potential yeah. so i think those those experiences um you yeah. know having to run a code without having done that before it's just very yeah, scary yeah. but also you learn so much yeah you learn the most in the fire which is i believe is so true i yeah. mean just seeing residents in the hospital so since we i'm in a teaching hospital seeing residents like run around and fly around yeah it's like oh my gosh i feel so bad and then the next second i'm like oh wait this is gonna be me too so i was like oh my gosh <laughs> not too long let, let me be nice <laughs> let me be nice to this resident but <laughs> that being said still what do you think is the greatest challenge that you've gone through i don't know there would be one single thing that where you just almost broke down all throughout this journey before practicing on your own. I had one patient that I mm. remember very vividly, and it was partly because it, the patient was somebody that I saw and was taking oh care of my gosh. very first. It was like July first of my third year, mm-hmm. so it was the first time I was a senior resident, um, and it was a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so For you know sure. the hospital was a little For bit understaffed sure, yeah. to begin with. <laughs> And, uh, you know, in pediatrics, we don't get very many codes. Um, and the patient was on the floor and then we got called and I had never really run a code before, but just having to do that from start to finish. And thankfully the attending that I was working with, he was on his way out the door, but he hadn't left yet. But that day, I mean, Mm -hmm. we spent all day with this patient and we managed to get them back. And then he was leaving and he Mm -hmm. told me, so the patient Mm -hmm. was on a special Mm -hmm. type of ventilator called an oscillator, which kind of vibrates. And he told me to do a spinal tap. He was like, okay, so do a spinal tap on this patient. And I was thinking, how on earth do you do that with a patient that's like moving? And it, it was just, I didn't know how to do it, but, but I did it and it, w- it went fine. And that yeah. experience gave me so much confidence that, you know, no matter yeah. what, there is a way to figure things out. You know, I had a wonderful team of nurses that were there and supporting me and, and just understanding that like, yeah. It, yeah. yeah, it's not just the doctor, yeah. the whole team is so important yeah. and we all have really different roles to play, but nobody can yeah. succeed unless everybody else is helping them out. I think that's the most important realization of pediatrics. Yeah. On July 1st, too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, every July 1st, and you see the interns come in, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, here we go, here we go. And, you know, you just try your best to really support the residents as well. It's also a face in the whole hospital system as a whole. Is Sometimes there's animosity between certain professions and disciplines. Yes. And mm-hmm. really at the end of the day, it's all about the patient and like all hands on deck, all teamwork. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, I just can't imagine being a wrestler. Like, do a spinal tap, do this. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I had a two-hour code, I think two months ago. We had to reopen a patient's chest at the bedside post-surgery because he, I, I found him and like viewed him. <laughs> so, and my ID was flipped. So the 
the head surgeon thought I was a resident. And I was like, okay, go, help me suction the chest cavity. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let me put my ID. Let me show you. Let me show you. But yeah, definitely you learned the most in the fire. And I think part of that fire also is the amount of emotions involved in this field. And I specifically want to link it to pediatrics. I'm Dr. Raylan. It's watching. Hi, Dr. Raylan. Hi, Dr. Raylan. Children <laughs> have a whole life ahead of them. Sometimes you see like the prognosis of elderly patients. It's like, you know, we give them as much comfort as much as we can. Let them enjoy the remaining years of their life. Mm-hmm. But for children, this is different because they have their whole life ahead of them. And you envision children who will turn into youth, who will turn into young adults, who will turn into adults and mm-hmm. hopefully live their life. But there's kids who get sick and really, really sick. Yeah. How, as, as a pediatrician, as the head of the care of these sick children, how... How? I think that's my main question is how. How do you manage all of that? So I think it's yeah. become a lot harder since I became a parent mm-hmm. myself to be to have a little bit of distance. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to make objective yeah. decisions, you have to have a little mm-hmm. bit of distance from the situation. And if you are envisioning, I mean, your empathy and your compassion is higher, I think, as a parent. But then mm-hmm. it's harder to make objective decisions because then you're like what if you know what if this were my child how would I feel in this situation I think it is hard but Mm -hmm. we are so lucky in this country Mm -hmm. to have the resources that Mm -hmm. we do even when children get sick a lot of Mm -hmm. times we have great Mm -hmm. medical Mm -hmm. care great Mm -hmm. options vaccine preventable illnesses now where you know the outcomes are still good Mm -hmm. and we have access to those resources you know thinking Mm -hmm. about somebody like I mean I grew up in Africa right in sub-Saharan Africa the resources you have some with malaria, you have somebody with tuberculosis, HIV, you know, children with those those diseases, they don't have very many options. It is tragic when a child is sick here, but it is also Mm -hmm. something that we can manage. And I think as a pediatrician, what you need to sort of do is be the support, not just for the child, but for the parent and to kind of help them navigate the system. Because I think what's hard about the US is that there's so many specialists and everybody's like, oh, kind of punting the problem a little bit. And the pediatrician needs to help bring everybody together because like yeah. you said, ultimately yeah. it, the patient is, is the important. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the things during my consultation that I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I want <laughs> this field because I feel like generally, even in adults, I feel like it's the family members who sometimes become more of the patient than the actual person in the bed. And, but I feel mm-hmm. like it's a, such a different topic yeah. when it's a child because these are parents that you're dealing with. And I feel like some parents, yep. um, if not all, probably not all, but they come in under your care with already a predisposition of what they think is best for their child. Mm-hmm. Mix that. How do you mix your expertise and mastery in this field and present it to parents who have their own idea of what is best for their children? I think you have to come from a place of compassion. Mm-hmm. Every parent wants what's best for their child. And so, you know, if a mm-hmm. parent has an opinion about, you know, what mm-hmm. that is, that is something you need to respect. Mm-hmm. Now, it may not be the right choice, 
and part of what I love about general pediatrics is I get mm. to know the families over years. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to know mm-hmm. first siblings, second siblings, third siblings, mm-hmm. and I know kind of what the family dynamic is. I know mm-hmm. what kinds of things a parent might be anxious about. I'm an anxious parent myself, so I kind of I get that. I think that everybody needs to feel like their doctor is on their side and in that it's not an antagonistic thing. It's like a marriage. You know, you have to find yeah. like some compromise that leaves everybody better off. I also think that if you have a good relationship with a parent, then they should be willing to listen to you too. It's a two-way street. And that's part of the benefit of being an outpatient pediatrician. That place of understanding. Now, how do you mix that with things like vaccines? Specifically, let's say the COVID-19 vaccine, (laughs) where there's so much discrepancy in opinions and information about it. I can only imagine parents coming to you who have their own views about not only just the COVID itself, but the vaccines as well. And, uh, you know, we've Mm -hmm. learned about ethics and stuff of historical events, maybe within the recent years where children have died at the face of parents not wanting medical care because it's against their religion or culture Mm -hmm. or whatnot. Now, where does that place of understanding come into play when it comes to things that are preventable but are actually when the parents' decisions and beliefs are harming their children's health? I have a reputation (laughs) for telling it to people straight. You know, I think that sometimes when you Mm. talk about it as if it were your child, so... For example, with the with the COVID vaccine, um, I have a six year old daughter. You know, people are worried about fertility in girls. People are worried about um, long term effects. I get that. You know, those thoughts have crossed my mind too. The thing is, the decision that I make for my own child yeah, should be the same definitely. decision I'm recommending to other people, right? And whether mm-hmm. that's to do with mm-hmm. you know a treatment option or a vaccine preventable illness. And I think people often are are willing to hear it if, mm. if they know mm-hmm. that as a parent, you are making the same choices. There are times when you have to really yeah. have sort of a come to Jesus kind of conversation with people. Um, I mm. thankfully only had to do that a handful of times, but yeah. those times are very hard mm-hmm. for parents and for pediatricians. And sometimes it just, yeah. what it means is that yeah. you're not necessarily the right provider for that parent, but you need to have a balance of trust in order to provide advice. And if they mm-hmm. aren't able to trust mm-hmm. you on a lot of basic things, then mm-hmm. maybe that isn't the most therapeutic alliance mm-hmm. because I think that they're not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy because I don't feel like we're doing yeah. necessarily the right thing for the child. And I think mm-hmm. the other thing is that there's a lot of nuance in parenting and, you know, certain things like, mm-hmm. should you, how do you introduce solids? Yeah. For example, yeah. you know, should you do baby led weaning? Should you do yeah. purees? There's actually a lot of right answers. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's only where the evidence really shows that there is a, a mm-hmm. single path that is important. Mm-hmm. How hard is it for yeah. you though, when, has there been a time where a parent was just like, no, and then that's it. You just have to let go. Do you? I've had to do that a few times mm-hmm. and they they were, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. really hard. I, I cried a mm-hmm. lot. I don't mm-hmm. think the parents knew how upset I was about it because they yeah, kind of, yeah. feel, like yeah, I take yeah. it personally, right? I thought yeah. it was a failure on yeah. my part for not communicating something correctly. Um, I was, it was when I was a younger physician. Mm-hmm. I think I've, I've come some ways in recognizing that sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. just do not see eye to eye, but. But I, it was mm-hmm. very hard the few times that's happened. You know, no pediatrician ever mm-hmm. wants to call Child Protective mm-hmm. Services, for example, yeah. but sometimes you have to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instances of child abuse or this or that, or parents who 
who willingly do not want any type of care for their children. I just can't imagine as the head of the care, how must that feel? But I feel like being a pediatrician, right? There's so much authority in your role, which is why there's no better person to ask questions to regarding pediatrics than <laughs> pediatricians, right? And I talked about it to Dr. Patel as well when she wrote an article because there was an article that was released about pediatrics, but it was all adult doctors who contributed to it. And I remember like, it, yes. The pediatricians talk about pediatrics. And so as the expert of the field, once and for all, as someone who has a six-year-old daughter who the vaccines are open for now, do you feel like it is safe for these children to get these vaccines? That has so much controversy about it. I mean, I do. My daughter got her first vaccine on Saturday. I was so excited. She was less excited. But, you know, we we did it. And I was thrilled that we had the option. I mean, I've spent a lot of time looking at the data, I, you know, what the FDA was looking at. I talked to a bunch of doctors, Mm -hmm. immunologists, infectious disease specialists, Mm -hmm. you know, been doing research, research, research. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think if you really look at the data, you would pick the vaccine. It's really about the data. There is a rabbit hole on TikTok and Instagram. There's so much opinions going on from those who do not look at the data. And it's scary to say, but Mm -hmm. there are some uh, where it's coming from actual medical providers as well. But again, very, very few people. But the general consensus that the data shows that these vaccines are safe and it is such reassurance for it to come from a pediatrician. So I have been vaccinating children against COVID-19 since it opened last week, I believe. Mm -hmm. We're really parents who cried, who were crying when their children were getting the vaccine and there were kids who were crying yes some because of the fear of the needles but there are some who's like oh i've been waiting for this because of my friend who has cancer and can't get get it or stuff like this and it just mm-hmm. shows you like sometimes how much ma- more mature children can be compared to certain adults and it's such exciting times it is such exciting times yep. definitely scary yeah, yeah. i think uh, yeah it's scary but you know i think children yeah. sometimes cut yeah. through all of the fluff right yeah. sometimes yeah, they can see sure, the heart of the matter sure. just a comparison i have had adults who was already sitting before me i'm I am already taking out the vaccine and ready to administer it and they'll whisper in my ear and they'll be like oh, can you pretend to give me the vaccine and we'll pay you? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you could get arrested for this. Like, you don't have any of that with children. Children are just like, oh, my friend got it. I'll get it too. And I think that also roots from the parents themselves, right? And that roots from the education that they have received from their pediatricians, from their children's pediatricians. So really, thank you for all of you do and for all the education that you do. And I know it's not easy. It's not easy at all because, especially in the face of social media, where there's so much, so many, so many trolls, <laughs> so many <laughs> trolls, and so many haters on here. Oh, um, it's sort of crazy what people will say. You know, I put out a post about my decision for my kid, mm-hmm. just to just to how I thought through it because I thought a lot of parents maybe wanted to but, see like how yeah. do, how does a pediatrician who's a parent think through this decision, um, and I got oh, some awful messages. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine. It, and that's actually something um, 
what I wanted to ask you is how has the pandemic changed your practice? Definitely like physical practice for sure changed. We've closed and lockdowns here and there, a lot of virtual stuff. But how has the pandemic in the light of being on social media changed who you are as a physician? Because I am so sure you you were not unchanged after all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the pandemic, you know, I wasn't on Instagram before the pandemic. Um, And then um, when the pandemic started and there was so much confusing information out there, I wrote a couple articles that were well received. And I realized, Mm -hmm. you know, this is there's a need here. Now, the the desire to put the pediatrician mom as as a um, resource together, I've wanted to do for years. And I just kept putting it off, like waiting for the right time. And eventually my sister, who's actually a pediatrician, told me as the pandemic started, you just need to jump in. You just, you just need to start. And I second guessed myself, but I was like, you know what? She's right. Probably my younger sister's right. And I just did it. And mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. I mean, the learning curve has been pretty steep on how to use Instagram yeah. and how to like yeah. put together graphics and make a website and all this stuff. But the pandemic has been a big, a lot of people don't have the option of, you know, yeah. Yeah. going yeah. out with other yeah. moms or, mm-hmm. or having support and connection, mm-hmm. especially when they've just had a baby. Yeah. Um, as somebody who was pregnant through the pandemic, um, you know, that the options of, of mm-hmm. a community that mm-hmm. I had with my first two mm-hmm. pregnancies, I didn't mm-hmm. have through this one because mm-hmm. I was so worried, even if I was vaccinated. So I think that the pandemic offered yeah. an opportunity to educate parents because yeah. a lot more parents were turning mm-hmm. to media and then also just to provide support. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're not the only one feeling yeah. these feelings yeah. and, and it's okay yeah. to be and feeling these feelings and fears. As, well is, um, as vaccines were rolling out, it's the return to in-person education. And I think that was a, mm-hmm. was a big yeah. headline as well. Is, is it really safe to return back to in-person education for these kids um this masking enough i mean we've heard of states where they don't even mandate the masks um as a pediatrician did you think it was safe for kids to return back to school given all of the safety measures that we have available yeah so back in the spring i didn't and we had the option of having our daughter mm-hmm. return mm-hmm. to some some mm-hmm. version of in-person school she's a kindergartner mm-hmm. and virtual yeah. kindergarten is you know special but mm. at that point I was pregnant and she couldn't get vaccinated. And I was like, you know, there's still mm-hmm. so much that's unknown about this, this virus that I just mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable. So we actually kept her home. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, as we learned more, I had the baby. Mm-hmm. We were still being quite careful mm-hmm. because a young baby is still vulnerable. Right. But as we learned mm-hmm. more and as more people got vaccinated and as the rates were sort of starting to kind of move downwards, I definitely thought it is worth it. You know, also just looking at what the rates of mental health, mental illness, Mm -hmm. isolation, Mm -hmm. all of those things were skyrocketing in the pediatric population. Mm -hmm. And it's all risks and benefits. So she is Mm -hmm. in in person Mm -hmm. school. They Mm -hmm. mask all day. She's fine with it. Her attitude about it. I think a child's attitude about a lot of things is predetermined Mm -hmm. by the way a parent frames it. And if you frame it as, you know, kind of matter of fact, Mm -hmm. like, we've mm-hmm. got to get a vaccine mm-hmm. or, or we've just got to wear a mask. This is just what you do. Mm-hmm. Like the kids kind of mm-hmm. roll with it better than we do as grownups. And so she's been in in-person school. The, her, we're lucky That's that our great. school That's tests great. them That's every great. other week for COVID. 
And so, you know, we haven't had any cases, knock on wood, and everyone's just careful. Mm-hmm. Like we all have sort of a community attitude about it. And so mm-hmm. people aren't taking risks. Um, and she told me, you wow. know, the majority of our class is already vaccinated. This first grade. Making much more measures than most yeah. adults, right? Yeah. Yeah. We are so oh, lucky yeah. to be in the yeah, community we are. Sure. Talking about mental health, I think the topic of mental health and mental illness has been such, such a great topic, but also a taboo topic in pediatrics, I think. Kids going through depression, pediatric suicide, mm-hmm. and all those things. Yes. Which I'm sure you see a lot of the whole psychosocial aspect of these children and their dynamics with their parents. And so we did have submitted questions from my followers. All of them really dealt with the whole mental health aspect in children. And one of the questions is the idea of the home. I feel like we see different phases of the home now, right? Conservatively, we have seen a mother and a father, and now we've seen same gender um, families and homes. There's always been mm-hmm. single parent homes. As someone who sees for sure all of this in all of these different categories and different phases of the homes, do you think there is a set home or does the general idea of the home contribute to a child's development? Do we see more, I don't know, if the word trauma or lack of development is seen in single parent kids as opposed to kids with a mother and a father or a complete set of parents? I think it all depends on how mm-hmm. stable the home is and how mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. kind of love and connection there is there. You know, the idea of adverse mm-hmm. um, childhood kind of events mm-hmm. and how those, even in young infancy, will impact um, mm-hmm. your psychosocial development down the mm-hmm. line and like mm-hmm. your own ability to connect and have a mm-hmm. family. Like we know that that data exists, but I don't mm-hmm. think that there is a set mm-hmm family that is ideal it's all about how involved your parents are and Mm -hmm. how safe children feel Mm -hmm. um, mentally physically you know there are obviously socioeconomic Mm -hmm. factors that that play here too and as much Mm -hmm. as we can do to make sure that there's stability Mm -hmm. whether it's a single parent home a same-sex parent home Mm -hmm. it doesn't i don't think that matters as much as making sure that we are providing resources Mm -hmm. so that parents Mm -hmm. mental health Mm -hmm. is good so that they can make sure that their children's uh, mental health is as stable as possible Mm -hmm. the other uh, it's a kind of flip side of that is also Mm -hmm. making sure that there's good access Mm -hmm. to medical care and mental health care which in this country you know, the, the access to mental health, what I've seen this year, the past few years, actually, is that when, even when pediatric mm-hmm. patients need, you know, mm-hmm. psych, psychotherapy, psychiatry, yeah. there just aren't very many providers that are accessible. And then yeah. even when there are, insurance doesn't cover it. Yeah. Um, and not everybody yeah. has the resources to pay for that out of pocket. And, and that's where I think mm-hmm. the problem is, mm-hmm. you know, if we can provide good, rounded mental health care mm-hmm. as well as mm-hmm. stable homes in the form of yeah. Yeah. maternal, yeah. you know, leave mm-hmm. and, and it's just mm-hmm. kind of taking care of the family as a whole. I think that will then Super translate agree. into Super children agree. being healthier. So if there's no set of home, what do you think? Is there a perfect or ideal recipe to what drives the development or of a child or for them to thrive, especially in the early years? You think is, is there a set? like concoction of factors that must 
be well meshed together for that to work out. I get a lot of questions about this kind of in the flavor of what kind of mm-hmm. developmental mm-hmm. stimulation do I need to give my two month old, my three month old, you know, and I actually like to have parents kind mm-hmm. of take a step back. The fact that you're asking that question mm-hmm. already means that you're providing something that's mm-hmm. intrinsically important. The fact that you are yeah, paying attention yeah, to sure. that is is enough. To answer your question kind of more specifically, I think it, I think the answer is stability and love and the social stimulation, the like, you know, a lot of parents are worried that oh, if their kids are around, they can mm-hmm. daycare around masked p- uh, providers or if their mm-hmm. kids are at home and mm-hmm. not going mm-hmm. out into the world and having stimulation with other kids, that somehow their kids are going to be mm-hmm. sort of affected by that negatively. And I think yeah, yeah. kids are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for. Ultimately, if they have good stimulation and just normal mm-hmm. level social interaction from their family members, that probably goes yeah. much further than we give it credit for. Um, you know, you don't need to be paying out of pocket for like yeah, expensive yeah, yeah. lessons and things like that. I mean, if you can do all yeah, of that, yeah. you know, my gym and things like that, that's great. Mm. But I don't think that those are crucial as much as just having mm-hmm. a child mm-hmm just talking to your child Mm -hmm. and and having Mm -hmm. them connect with you, making Mm -hmm. eye contact, reading to them, like what they need is is much simpler. That's beautifully said. And as you were talking about like social interaction, the right level of social interaction. I think what's big nowadays is social interaction through the phone, through social media, technology. We have Uh the highest rise in technology the past few years. And we've, we're seeing, kids of the youngest ages scrolling through their phones the whole day i know they know how to swipe even really early Um, how do they know that i was talking with a friend the other day um she's a pediatric nurse and i I told her i said honestly isn't it scary how some kids are so advanced with their motors fine motor skills now because of technology like you see kids with ipads right like straight out of the womb already gone Mm -hmm. two-year-olds do you think that has a adverse consequence to a child's development early on if they're so easily and early introduced to technology let's say someone a six-year-old um or six-year-old do you allow them to be like on the phones or use the phones or ipads or i don't know be on social media like in the next few years i think there's mm-hmm. like everything else there's balance to it you know yeah. anything yeah. anything in excess is probably not healthy including yeah. avoiding yeah. so yeah. yeah. avoiding screens it's probably not healthy because then yeah. you sort of yeah. put it on yeah. this pedestal it's kind of like dessert you put it on this pedestal yeah. and they're like doing yeah. everything they can to get to it mm-hmm. and at mm-hmm. some point they will be exposed right so part of our role is to allow Mm-hmm. exposure but in in a frame mm-hmm. that is safe but is allowing them to make some choices so in our house we mm-hmm. we are very mm-hmm. intentional about screens mm-hmm. and we've been that way from yeah, the beginning yeah. so under yeah. the age of two like it you know probably is worth avoiding but beyond that and i will say with every subsequent kid <laughs> we've sure. kind of chilled out a little bit more about it <laughs> <For sure>. um <laughs> but you know I, I, we're just very intentional like we will say we are watching this specific show for this predetermined length of time like we're going to watch two episodes of it and then we try and talk to them about it like i don't yeah don't typically let yeah. them just like sit and watch and zombify and i find that with certain shows yeah. they're so like intently zombified 
by the show that like they almost have this like they're coming off yeah. of a high afterwards and their behavior is yeah. worse and yeah. so we yeah. avoid the shows that are really overstimulating in that way there are certain shows that i mm-hmm. i personally really like like bluey um which we've discovered recently honestly there's like a whole I, subtext yeah. level that's great for parents um in yeah. that show yeah. and the episodes are just six to eight minutes Perfect. so like you can yeah. do okay we're gonna do two yeah. minutes of blue two episodes of bluey but we're just intentional mm-hmm. about it and very specific and we mm-hmm. lay out ahead of time like when we're going to end so the expectations are there now i'm not saying i mean my kids still throw tantrums sometimes when we have to turn it off but if we are thoughtful about it then i think that that helps them be thoughtful too and we're the other part Mm -hmm. of this is also what are we doing as parents you know since i've created the pediatrician mom i spent a lot more time on my phone and my six-year-old made an observation about it a few months back i dropped my phone and it broke Mm -hmm. and i was like really bummed out about it and and you know she was like, well, is there a silver lining? And I was like, there's no silver lining to my phone. Oh, yeah. And she said, well, maybe now, mommy, yeah. you can talk to me more. Yeah. And I, it yeah. was so jarring yeah. to me to hear her say that. Because mm-hmm. it's so astute as an observation that I have yeah. become more intentional about just putting my yeah. phone away with yeah. notifications yeah. off, like in the evenings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I don't want her For to be sure. thinking well, that. That is amazing. Um, and I think that's something that certain parents miss too, is that they're always like, oh, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But the children, it's like lead by example. But I'm doing again, it. Right? Like, as the rest yeah. of you see, you do, and mm-hmm. you copy what, what's going on. And yeah, and I think that the technology question, the social media question, was rooting from the general public's fear about cyberbullying and seeing violent mm-hmm. things on the internet. So I think there's some level of understanding for that fear. but. I agree that everything's a balance. And and, and you've got to be careful yeah. about it, right? Because kids are savvy and yeah. they can figure out social media yeah. and, and yeah. the internet better than I think we can. So, I mean, yeah. there's a show on Netflix right now called Squid yeah. Games, right? That, I mean, I think everybody is talking about. I yeah. have not watched it, but I watched like a preview of it. And I was, I was talking to somebody who says that they're kindergartner has been watching it which i watched like, it so what like, oh no <laughs> oh no like we have yeah. to be vetting that stuff like that is not when when a child doesn't have mm-hmm. any understanding of like what is realistic mm-hmm. like they should it's not be reason. watching things but i like also that. what i think i like about certain technological aspects now is the amount of protective layer that these developers put on these apps mm-hmm. or in the phone itself you can put like a timeout yeah um, period on the phone i think for netflix there's a family account where it bars certain shows or certain mm-hmm. ratings uh, from being watched even youtube and others like there's youtube kids or some yeah so yeah um, the youtube kids yeah so yeah definitely it's also something that um the parents and the companions need to be aware so oh my gosh squid game oh no 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 i, I watched the whole yeah yeah, like those yeah. those uh, yeah, safety yeah, nets are there, but you can't rely on them because you still need to be like participating actively because yeah. kids are just yeah. smart. Oh They're just they so clever about this. And, you know, yeah. I, I when I heard that story about the kindergartner, I actually, you know, I was reading that a lot of like first grade, like a yeah. lot of young kids are like playing these games like at recess and stuff. So I actually asked my daughter about it, you know, like, has yeah, anyone yeah, mentioned yeah, this yeah, game? Yeah. Like, I didn't want to tell her anything about like what it was. Um, and she said no, oh, yeah, which was a release. Sure. But like, for you've sure. got to keep checking and I feel in. Like also word like spreads fast. <laughs> the children nowadays see, I mean, even when I was a kid, like, oh, really? Oh, really? And it spreads across the whole room. Older siblings that tell them. Or they have older sure. siblings that tell and them. So yeah. I've been learning so much. And 
I think one question that I wanted to ask you, Doc, is what is the biggest myth you have read or seen so far about the field of pediatrics? And how do you counter that myth? Or the myth that, I don't know, that probably annoys you the most because um, it's something recycled so often from people who have no background and no authority at all to speak about pediatrics. That is exactly what annoys me that you know sometimes there are people with no background that make claims um i think the article that we talked about earlier is a pretty good example there is a common misconception that children's physiology anatomy pathology is the same as adults you know they're just basically small adults and children are not they're fundamentally different the way they they think the way they operate the way their bodies operate and and I think people who think that children are small adults really minimize mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. level yeah. of expertise that a pediatrician brings. You know, what we're trained to do, and you talk, alluded to this earlier, mm-hmm. like the physiology of like a young baby, like my four-month-old, yeah. is different than the physiology of a six-year-old, yeah. is different than the physiology of um, yeah. a teenager. And we need to know all of it. Because like you can go yeah. from a four-month-old's yeah. room yeah. to a teenager's yeah. room and then back, right? You mm-hmm. know, we yeah. are the experts yeah. at this and we've chosen to study it. And people should be looking to us for the guidance. Now, I think mm-hmm. a lot of pediatricians aren't stepping up and talking mm-hmm. about it, yeah. which is part of the issue. Last thing is, I want to go back to what we said about in other countries, pediatricians are very well respected and probably well compensated as well, but not here in the United States. Do you have an idea of why that is? What is the difference here in the United States that we don't have that level of respect for pediatricians relative to other countries? I think part of it is... um... I worry sometimes that in this country, we don't always Mm. prioritize pediatric health as much as we should, you know, like we're Mm -hmm. focused so much on, on other things that pediatric and then maternal health are both sort of an afterthought. And that, that is evident politically. That is evident in like the way certain policies are put together, but also Mm -hmm. there is more respect for procedure based specialties as well you know people that are doing surgeries or like procedures just get better compensation and so then people are more attracted to those things than they are to you know basic outpatient primary care because you i've had so many specialists say ah well pediatrics is just like coughs colds and ear infections right but no it isn't you know like Mm -hmm. you are impacting the whole next Mm -hmm. generation Mm -hmm. it's huge but until that that culturally changes in, in this country i worry yeah, that, that things are not going to well i've learned so much today doc but you know besides being a physician and a mother and a content creator and author you are so much more than that that's <laughs> the question i want to ask you is outside of all of this medical jungle and i can only imagine how busy it has been since the pandemic started especially for your field and the parents and the whole vaccination series came out how do you decompress out of work? How How is life outside of a physician? <laughs> I got really into yoga through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I I try to carve out time for that. I have to say with three children, with the youngest being so little, yeah. like sometimes yeah. I just don't. Yeah. And, and that's not healthy because then I, when I find that I am not decompressing, mm-hmm. then I find that mm-hmm. I'm more easily frustrated mm-hmm. by the kids, by the family, by situations. But but yoga has been a big source of, of comfort for me. And then um, I have a Peloton, so I I, uh, 
I enjoy yeah, those yeah, um, those rides a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also some of their non-ride content yeah. is fantastic. And then I enjoy cooking. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not baking, but like cooking meals, finding mm-hmm. recipes. I'm a vegetarian and sometimes finding recipes that actually right now mm-hmm. I'm not just a vegetarian. I'm dairy yeah. free because my baby has a milk protein intolerance. And that has been a really interesting challenge trying to find recipes that mm-hmm. my vegetarian and mm-hmm. dairy heavy in their diet children yeah. will eat that I can yeah. still eat without having to make multiple meals. Yeah. So so I, I spend time on those I things. Love it. And then just playing board I games with it. my kids. I, 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 love, I love playing board games with my kids. Play with them too, right? Yeah. They're old enough now where like you can sit down and actually play a game with them and talk to them. Thank you so much. And hopefully one day we can come back and reconvene. And I really want to touch more about um, yes. the vegetarian aspect and how it works in a pediatric home. I've been more plant based the past year. And I'm slowly trying to edge my way into the whole vegetarian sphere. And I'm very curious to see, um, hopefully in another live, how that translates to children. Because I think there's also a lot of talks about a purely vegan, a purely vegetarian diet in kids. Um, I'll talk about protein and stuff like that. Yeah, and maybe we can... There's a lot of myths about it. Yeah. Yep. It can't be done or they won't grow. Yeah, or You know, say, actually, yeah. Dr. Raylan yeah. um, is also plant-based. And that's part of yeah, when we yeah, yeah. worked on this book, this 101 for one, yeah. like um, there was an emphasis on plant-based options for, yeah. for babies. Yeah. So, yeah, that yeah, would be a really fun conversation to have. It's interesting. Raylan actually get on a three-person live. Yes. And, um, we can... Yeah, and I really want to also promote one before one as well because I truly, truly love it. Well, Dr. Playforth, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> thank you. With your time and your presence and your wisdom today. I am more and more encouraged in this long path of probably crying tears for the first few. <laughs> You're going to be so fine. Much. And I hope you have a good day. And- Dr. Playford, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Bye. Right. Of course. Bye. Thanks so much. For-